place called Champion City. The forces of good and evil. Captain Amazing. What a surprise. Are about to collide. Well, we've always been each other's greatest nemesis. Now, with the city's one true hero missing, Captain Amazing is in danger. Kaboom! Who will step forward? You again, wannabes. To answer the call of justice. Don't mess with the volcano, my man, because I will go Pompeii on your butt. Oh, golly. For this moment, the city's in peril, Lucille. All of their lives. Butch needs his vest back. Well, it's my vest, too. I bought it for him. But now that their time has come, I'm a superhero, too. What's his power? Excuse me. They're going to need all the help they can get. You gotta find a lot of superheroes really quickly. State your name and power. PMS Avenger. I only work four days a month. Is there a problem with that? No. No. I am the Waffler. Waffler! Too late to try out? Sorry. You're in. Wow, my first mission and we're gonna rescue Captain Amazing. Here we go! Universal Pictures presents... We need to talk about your plans. I'm going to kill you. Right, that's the part that really doesn't work for me. A new league of heroes that step to a different beat. Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. I don't find you threatening. At all. <laughs> we're not your classic heroes. We're the other guys. Mystery Men. I'm invisible! Can you see me? Yes. Wow. Maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. Shower people, and welcome to our 158th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and joining me today is an excellent great guest co-host returning to the podcast, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you? And welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing really good. Uh, you know, tonight is a sunny day here at the beach, so I can't complain too much. So, you know, could be worse. I could be living at the North Pole. <laughs> this is very true, and we're very, very happy to have you back indeed, Keith, because today we are discussing Mystery Men from 99. This was actually directed by Kinka Usher, and it's the only film he ever directed, as he's known prominently for directing TV commercials, and has apparently won quite a few awards for his work in that field. This film was written by Neil Cuthbert, while the score was provided by Stephen Warbeck. And to put it in today's money, it cost $120 million to make and made $58 million at the box office. So sadly, it did not make its money back. But uh, getting to your first impressions here, first off, did you get to see this at the theater? And what did you make of this movie? Um, I unfortunately did not catch it in its theater run, but I saw it on local cable TV back you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Um, this was one of those movies that kind of like flew under the radar, even by, you know, late nineties, early 2000s standards. It was, you know, known because it was Ben Stiller, the cast was big, but it just, it wasn't in the box office very long for you to kind of enjoy it. So I caught it on like a 2am couldn't sleep one night kind of show on like, I think it was like Showtime or some local, you know, cable channel or something like that. 
Mm. I gotcha. And uh, I mean, and uh, did you enjoy it? I mean, is it kind of, was it? Did you, did you think it was a fun movie? Oh, I, I loved it. For you know, when it came out in '99, it was just that was kind of the, with the cast that they had for the movie. That was the movie I was expecting to see. If that make any sense, you know, sure. I wasn't expecting like. Um, Avengers level like action and great acting and like story and everything of that nature. But the cast they had, every, all the parts they played, that was exactly the movie I was expecting. I did not go in expecting any more or any less. It was like right there in the sweet spot. Right. Well, and then I guess, you know, expectations were definitely met then for, for sure, knowing what you were going into. And I'm actually right there with you. Oddly enough, when I actually watched this, I'm like, I was almost surprised this got a theatrical release because it, it definitely feels more like a TV movie. Granted, okay, our cast is pretty stacked with the kind of names that we have here. And I was actually surprised by the actual kind of kind of actors and non-actors we got here that were, that were populating this movie. Like, wow, okay. They definitely uh, recruited quite the group. And yeah, I mean, I also, you know, seeing the, the names, I kind of expected it to be more comedic and less, shall we say, typical superhero genre movie. And for what it was, I enjoyed myself. I thought it was fun. There were some moments where I did kind of raise, you know, my, raise my eyes a little bit. And there were some jokes that possibly didn't land necessarily with, for me or with me. But oh, definitely. Other than, yeah. I mean, other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, I was pretty, pretty happy with it by and large. I mean, like I said, aside from a few things here and there, which I'm sure we'll get to. But yeah, by and large, uh, my expectations were met as well. And like I said, it's a shame this movie did not make, my, make back its money. So I guess we might never see the likes of it again. But uh, for what it was, it was fun. So uh, let's start off with our original, our characters here, starting with our original trio of wannabe superheroes. We have the aforementioned Ben Stiller as Roy, Mr. Furious, Hank Azaria as Jeffrey, the Blue Raja, and William H. Macy as Eddie, the Shoveler. So when it came to our core group, uh, Keith, what did you make of these three? They cracked me up. You know, they had a really good chemistry with each other on scene, you know, you could tell they were having fun doing the movie. You know, they weren't taking themselves seriously at all. You know, granted, um, Macy being the shoveler had to kind of be like the straight man per se, you know, always trying to be like, okay, do this. But you can tell, like just them on scene, I probably bet there's outtakes and bloopers everywhere of them just cracking up, trying to make each other laugh just because of the dumb stuff that was going on. Yeah, this is true. Um, I think, you know what, seeing the way they interact, you almost got the impression that these three guys grew up together. You know what I mean? In the yes, sense that 100%. They were, that they must have been kids and maybe were playing at superheroes when they were kids and like, you know, so so because I guess just the way they interact with each other, and so, and I definitely then say kudos to to our three these three guys for just playing it that way. Because like, yeah, you could tell these they've been through a lot, and that they've uh, they've been doing this for some time, and like I said, they know each other inside and out. And I mean, I have to be honest; I'm not the biggest Ben Stiller fan, but this I'm with you. <laughs> okay, so I'm glad I don't feel so alone because when it came to you know starting off there with the character Mr. Furious, I thought to myself, okay, so is he supposed to be like a Hulk kind of character? Because I was kind of expecting something like that, or I, I guess the way he talks about it, it's like 
when we're in a certain agitated state, we a person can get like superhuman strength. So it might be that he's kind of getting himself into a frenzy, if you will, to where they say he could he could move a car or whatever. And we see him, you know, do something at the end of this film. But he really seems the one who has the, shall we say, not much of anything going on up until pretty much the end of the film when he faces off against uh, Casanova Frankenstein. Because other than that, he seemed a little bit kind of inconsequential if you were. I mean I got his point that he's angry all the time and he's always kind of questioning stuff but power wise I was like okay so I guess you kind of get yourself mad and you do stuff but I don't know I mean when it came to to the Blue Raja I thought that was it, it was hilarious the fact that he uses forks and not to mention the fact that Jeffrey has to play a British character because of course like okay ex ex british colony i have to have a, a a strong british accent and even he never you know kind of breaks character when he's with the guys right except you know which i thought was hilarious i mean only the time we see him speaking his native american accents when he's with his mom and that was lovely and also made me chuckle that when he kind of sort of reveals to his mom what he's been doing and she's like, oh, no, keep the British accent. It's fantastic. She's like so proud of him. <laughs> yeah, right. I, the highlight I, is the fact that he can pull off that British accent. She's like, I am so proud of this British accent. My son's a screw up, but he can at least sound like he's British. Like, that was her <laughs> highlight. Like that amazed me. Yeah, I give him credit. He pulled it off. You know, he kept it. He stayed in his character um, the entire movie. Anytime he was the Blue Raj, he talked in the accent. You know, he, he spoke like he had. He was from that area of the world. Granted, he always had to explain it because he was, again, never wearing blue, which was it kind of like, you know, it was like the old joke running through the whole movie, but you get it because everyone's like, but you're not wearing blue. And he's like, I know, I know I'm not wearing blue. You know, he at least points to the fact that he's not wearing blue. So he calls himself out on his own design flaw. So I can't, even, you know, you know, Willie H. Macy, when he's with his wife, he's like, I shovel well, like that's his thing. Like he's proud of the fact that he can shovel very well. And Ben Stiller's character is just like, I'm mad. You're like uh, okay, well, what else? Just I'm mad. Like, that, that's all you got going. Like this dude throws forks. This guy can shovel. Has a, they both have weapons? And you just talk smack. Oh, okay, that, that's a thing. Yeah, he no, was definitely the, the out of place character. He was, and he's pretty much like I guess the loner because aside, of course, from the romantic interest that he picks up by the end of this film. We pretty much, I guess, get the impression that he doesn't have anybody to, so we say, fight for, and obviously that becomes then part of his motivation by the, but you know, halfway through this film, when of course he does have something to fight for. Whereas the other two, obviously, Jeffrey has his mom, and uh, and Eddie, of course, like you were saying, has his wife and kids, and so they're kind of more motivated when it comes to that. I, I do. I mean, I know, as I said, this is very much supposed to be a silly movie, but it would have been nice to have seen more of Jeffrey and Eddie as civilians and kind of see what do they do during the day? Because we understand that Roy works in a junkyard uh, right. or something to that nature, but Jeffrey and Eddie, we don't really get much, I think, when it comes to that, or did I miss something? No, you really don't, because you see each of them with their corresponding, you know, in one case is mom, in the other case is wife and kids. But that that's really pretty much it, like, you know, Mr. Furious is the only one that you see day job wise. Like he goes to a junkyard and he has to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And even then his own boss makes fun of him for, you know, his whole Mr. Furious persona. So like, I would have preferred, you know, I'm with you, see a little bit more of the other characters, just a little like, so what do they do when they're not running around in, you know, spandex and weird costumes? Like, oh, 
you know, Shoveler could be like a, a, a accountant for all we know, and the Blue Raj could not have a job and just live at home with mom. Yeah, I mean, because it would have also, I think, added more to what is their motivation. I mean, I get they just want to be heroes for being here for heroes' sake, I guess. So, so it would have been kind of nice to like, did they grow up admiring people like Captain Amazing or, you know, did they see wrong in their lives and wanted to do something about it? Because we kind of don't really get why they get into the superhero game. I guess it's because maybe they have a sense of right and wrong and feel they want to right said wrongs. But that isn't really explained. Like I said, I know it's not supposed to be digging too deep because it's a silly movie, but still, you could have given us some motivation as to why these guys do what they do or why they even decided to become these wannabe superheroes and, uh, right. and follow, I suppose, the pattern of, of somebody who has, should we say, powers like Captain Amazing, who barely is in this film, but uh, is kind of like the OG superhero, should we say, the superhero their city has. But yeah, that yeah. kind of uh, frustrated me a little bit. Definitely. I think the only one they really go into is the bowler. And she goes into her backstory, like how she's got the bowling ball of her dad's head. and He was murdered and blah, blah, blah. She's really the only one that they flush out the why she's doing what she's doing story. The other three, they're just like, we've been doing this for 10 years. You're like, but why have you been doing this for 10 years? You know, there was no why or how. It's just we're doing it and that's where we're at. I suppose it's one of those situations of I'm doing it just because I suppose. So it's like they woke up one day like, yeah, let's do this. So other than, you know, finding more incredibly hilarious, I did kind of, I was a little bit upset. As I said, that we didn't have more to kind of explain why we're here. You know, it's like, okay, we're just going to throw you straight into the action. These guys are want to be superheroes and they want to do this, but we don't really understand their motivation, but okay. It's okay. But uh, I did love William H. Macy because he kind of seems like, almost a leader, if you will, because he is the one with, he's the one with the straightest mind, if you will, because he's like kind of keeping yeah. everybody else in check. I think he's like, he's like fathering the other two, if you will, kind of acting sort as of kind of. Yeah, no, right? sorry, I mean to cut you off. No, sort of kind of agree with you on that one. He seemed like the, the, the dad figure of the group. Yeah, because everybody else, I mean, obviously, you know, um, Roy is all over the place. I, the Blue Raja is kind of all about, you know, just, doing hello and all this kind of thing just trying to figure out his his forks and stuff so yeah i think uh, uh eddie is the one with like his head screwed on of these i mean as as much as one can have a head screwed on doing what they're doing but uh, true. Yeah, but i think he's one that has the most sense about him when he's trying to almost bring everybody together he's almost like like captain america character in sort of being the the, the, the straight line kind of kind of guy so i appreciated that dynamic but like i said i would have liked to more of a um should we say, uh, more, explain to us why these guys have done it. I mean, like I said, we can infer they've been friends forever and have known each other forever, but it would have been nice to have seen why they decide to do this. But okay. So did you have anything else on these three characters, Keith, before we get to our next group? No, I think we kind of covered all our bases. I, we're definitely in agreement in terms of like, you know, who the leader was and Ben Stiller's character could kind of literally sat in the diner the entire movie and nobody would have cared and you know blue raj you know it they are what they are and you know i would i want a prequel movie this is one of those few times i want a prequel of them in like kindergarten like they've known each other literally since they were like five and williams macy's character he's just literally making sandcastles that's why they call him the shoveler or something i just i want a really corny backstory movie now that's what i want you and me both. And since I think this movie has now developed a cult following, 
you know, who knows? They might, somebody might want to go back and do it. So uh, I guess we'll see what happen, happens, seeing as we're getting all sorts of prequels and sequels to other cult movies. Who knows? This might get revisited at some point. Uh, so I guess uh, moving on then, let's look at our latest recruits to the team. We have the aforementioned Janine Garofalo as Carol the Bowler, Kel Mitchell as Invisible Boy, and Paul Rubens, yes indeed, Pee-wee himself as Spleen. So what do you make of these three, Keith? They, they, they fit their parts perfectly. You know, when I, I picture these characters... After seeing the movie and even you know before the movie, I saw the cast and I saw the characters they were playing and like they nailed it spot on. This cast was about as perfect as you could get in terms of casting. Garofalo's character, you know, she, I like her, you know, most of the time. She does have some sometimes where I don't, I'm not a big fan of hers, but she played that part perfectly. You know, she was very, you know, disgruntled, indifferent kind of everything, and always wanted to start a fight with, you know, Stiller's character, Mister Furious. Uh, the Invisible Boy, he was funny because I was expecting the he not actually have any powers and he was just very self-conscious about himself. So I was, I was waiting. I was like, okay, this kid's going to get like shot or murdered and literally he pops off in like two seconds. You're like, holy crap, he has powers. Joke's on me. And then, you know, Pee Wee Herman playing the spleen. He's another one of those characters you kind of want a little bit more of the backstory because he sits down in the diner and just goes like, I got my powers because I... I made fun of or I blamed a fart on a little gypsy lady and now I have this ability. And you're like, I want to see that happen. I want to know like like I want to see you like in a flashback scene sitting at I don't care anywhere, Chuck E. Cheese and you rip one and you blame it on the little lady and she curses you. Like I want to see that. Because he he played the character, they all three of them, they all play their characters perfectly. And I, I want a little more of each backstory because you know, like Kyle, how did he figure out that he could turn invisible? Like, I want to see that first time because, again, you know, most of these movies, they always show you the first time these characters learn they have these powers or abilities. Well, I, I want to know when that happened because that would be amazing. I think so. And heck, I mean, I know this is, of course, a Dark Horse property. So, hey, who knows if uh, Dark Horse ever decides to, I don't know who that has the rights at this point, but heck, if Dark Horse ever, you know, bring, brings out these characters again, it would be cool, like you said, to have these origin stories I, as i said here they pretty much want to just throw you into the fray and say okay these are our characters you know just try and get to know them as best you can right yeah, i did like the dynamic like you were saying between carol and roy because they are very adversarial they're very much the two hotheads of the group in the sense that also carol can get pretty riled up when it comes to any any situation so you could you would almost you could almost imagine had you know there not been another you know should say love interest that maybe by the end of the day Carol and Roy would actually have end up hooking up because the fact of they keep yelling at each other it might get to the point to where they end up together by the end of the movie because there were she was the one that they were kind of just the two what should we say bantering back and forth and that actually did make me laugh I mean as simple as that dialogue was it did make me chuckle when they were kind of at it all the time and the concept like you were saying of her father's head being in a bowling ball first off and I know this is serious nitpicking what bowler or should we say person <laughs> who makes makes bowling balls will set a skull inside a bowling ball knowing it's a human skull I mean, I guess, I guess for the right money, anybody will do it. But still, it's like a conversation. I just want to know how that like happened where she's like at the funeral and she starts hearing 
her dad's voice and he's like, put me in a bowling ball. And you're like, what? Like, you think she's crazy? And then she literally has this conversation with, you know, Bob the bowler from the local bowling alley. And they have this entire conversation of putting her dad's head in a bowling ball. Like, that would have been an amazing anything, like 20 minutes of flashback. I would have loved to see Exactly. Not to mention, we find this bowling ball really does have powers because it's kind of hovering right. and moving by itself. So, the I mean, compared to our original trio, like you were saying, Invisible Boy and the bowler actually do have powers in the sense that that bowling ball literally does go have a mind of its own. And so I guess, you know, when we see um, Carol talking to it, you know, for all we know, she really does hear his voice. And she's not just mad and make it's not making up the conversation. Granted, we get the one-sided part, but once again, where does this supernatural stuff come from to where the head can float and do its, its whole thing? But, you know, uh, as I said, uh, maybe had it been a more profound movie and a deeper movie, we might have gotten the explanation of this is why his head has powers and this is why it can move. I guess it's just a concept of it has unfinished business, maybe. I guess, yeah, apparently. I don't know. It was very weird. And I'm right there with you when it came to Invisible Boy. I was generally surprised when the guy literally strips off and off he goes and is invisible. It's like, what do you know? It's true that he does have these powers, but it's very strange that if, he, that if nobody looks at him, he turns invisible. So it can be kind of a tough power to use, I suppose. But it was fun. It's kind of like the with Doctor Who. You know, yeah. when, with the weeping angels, if you look at the angels, they don't move. But when you look away, they can attack you. He's kind of the same scenario where you're looking at him. He can't, you know, perform when you're not looking at him. He disappears. And I, I definitely I used a couple of choice words. I was like, well, holy crap. And you can substitute your own word in there when he did that, because I was legitimately surprised. I was like, all right, joke's on me. He can do it. <laughs> You and me both. But like I said, I, I love this for that reason. And Spleen was possibly the one who got on my nerves the most in inverted commas. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of fart jokes. So I mean, granted, okay, they didn't overuse it. And it was, you know, it was just here and there. It wasn't too much. But I guess, you know, uh, as I grow older, fart jokes tend to no longer land with me at all. So I'm kind of like, okay, fine. We have the guy who farts and they're, they're you know, terrible. And that's how he, he is able to overcome his enemies. But I'm glad that they just, they didn't go too far. I get it's Paul Rubens and Paul Rubens did a great job with this character. But yeah, he, he can come across as a little bit annoying. And once again, you wonder whether Spleen knew the other guys way back when, because apparently from what we gather, they know him and he's probably been right. wanting to get in on the action for a while. And there was kind of like, we've told him no a million times. So you wonder whether either this came back way back when they were like in high school and they were thinking about becoming superheroes and Spleen was, you know, the, the pimple faced kid who nobody wanted to talk to and who was just weird. And, and it's kind of translated into, into his adulthood, but also we don't have his background either, which was curious. Right. No, I agree with you. I, I they, the group, the core three definitely have that. We've known each other forever. High school kind of, they could have been in a high school club together and they really liked superheroes. And this translated into we're now adults. We're going to become superheroes. And he always wanted to join the club. He was like, you were saying the nerdy kid, the really weird, awkward kid that nobody kind of liked, especially if he has a lot of gas issues. So I could see why they didn't want him to be included because he couldn't control his bowels, you know, get, get some you know, peptic acid and he should be fine, but hey, whatever. 
And I actually have a, have a question for you. Yes. Do you think that uh, that by the end of the movie, since it didn't happen between Roy and Carol, the fact that Spleen kept making moves on Carol, do you think it would have been nice had they ended up either sharing a kiss or something like that by the end of the movie? Something like holding hands. They, you know, he eventually kind of cracks her egg or gets yeah. past her shell, whichever term you want to, you know, whatever joke you want to go with. It would have been nice just to see her and him or he gets some sort of, you know, something, some type of call back to him, you know, kind of flirting with her. Granted, he was a little aggressive at the beginning, but that goes back to his just being socially awkward. And now that they've, he's proven himself, he's literally taken a bullet for the team. You know, she kind of goes, you know, sees him in a different light. I totally would have appreciated that. Again, not maybe not a kiss, you know, her holding his hand, showing him a, a little bit of affection, like the the twinklings of affection. So, you know, the whole joke, there's a chance. And so you're saying there's a chance. Exactly. That's where I would have been fine with that too. I agree. You know, like I said, like you know, maybe don't give us the whole kind of you know, kiss me, but yeah, maybe almost a, a uh, innuendo that something might happen later down the line to where, like you said, she's She's come to understand that Carol's come to understand that, you know, Spleen is not such a bad guy. And he's just like you said, awkward and needs to kind of work on his social skills a little bit. But um, right. so it would have been that would have been kind of cool. And uh, and yeah, as I said, I mean, uh, the fart stuff uh, you know, was a little bit annoying, but it wasn't to the point it was like, oh, it's one every five minutes. So it was OK. It was I, it was enough. I suppose they, they were able to balance it decently enough. So uh, anything else on these three before we move on to uh, our next characters, Keith? Uh, I want them to have a spinoff movie. I want the three of them to get their own little, like, again, what they do when they're not superheroing would have been great. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, it would have. I think it much, very much would have humanized them even more. I, I, I think so, too. So uh, I guess then let's get to our next uh, couple of characters here. Looking at the spiritual leader of our heroes, we have West Study of all people as Sphinx and their weapons maker, Tom Waits. Yes, that Tom Waits as our mad scientist, Dr. Heller. So what did you make of these guys? I loved Dr. Heller. I, I, you know, it's funny. The first time I watched it when I was, you know, a million years ago, I don't. I didn't appreciate him as that character as much, but going back and watching it again recently for our podcast, I definitely appreciated him more. You know, he played the part perfectly. He he wasn't over the top. He wasn't. Again, I, I've said this before. They cast this movie perfectly. I liked him playing the Doctor, even Sphinx. While he kind of got on my nerves a little bit, and even you know, Furious was calling him out on how he would respond to things, where he just basically say everything back to you in some sort of like you know, haiku kind of way. I, I, I liked them. I, you know, they needed some sort of outside element to them. You know, Sphinx kind of got them in line, taught them how to, you know, hone their abilities and think outside of the box in some respect. And uh, Heller just gave them all the toys. And I liked how all of his toys were non-lethal toys and they didn't believe him initially. And then, you know, he opens up the, was it the tornado in a can or whatever it was? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. We'll take one of literally everything. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic because it very much adds to the whole comedic element of, of course, we're taking on one of the most dangerous people in the world. You're going to give us non-lethal weapons. And and I think the effects that those have were, were very much hilarious. And I agree with you. I I, I thought to Tom Waits was an excellent, was a very inspired choice for Doc Heller. And uh, the fact that 
you know, even though he, he makes these very kooky, crazy weapons, he clearly knows his science because we do get a lot of techno babble when he talks. He's like, because, of course, the elements through quantum science does this and this and this. So he does know his stuff. He's very much that, that mad scientist, if you will. But at the same time, I guess he, um, he doesn't believe in killing people necessarily. So that's why he makes these, these weapons that will neutralize a, uh, a threat, but won't necessarily kill them. And the, the, the uh, hurricane in the can, I absolutely love. I was like, that is so cool. I, I think that's actually a very clever concept. Not to mention... I, ha- go ahead. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to catch off what you were going to say. No, no, not to mention, I just love how supportive he is of the team. Like watching them on TV, it's like, those are my boys. I love that. Right. I like the fact that, you know, he's sitting there, like you were talking about, spewing science jargon. And you know, 90% of it is complete rubbish because of just what he's saying. But he's selling it to you in such a, a believable, he's like, I can't believe the quantum flux of the uh, blah, 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 blah. And you need the inverse of this. And I can't believe you pulled this off. And he's just like, his mind's blown over the science in the movie itself. And that kind of cracked me up because he was geeking out to the science that, you know, the bad guy was using to do whatever he had to do. And he's like, well, this shouldn't have worked. Everybody's gone crazy. And Stiller's like, oh, you mean like everybody in this asylum? And all of a sudden, it just gets really quiet. And you're like, well, crap. Okay. <laughs> so I loved it. He was great. He was. And, you know, I, another character that I really, uh, every time he came on screen, it just made me happy because like you said, it's almost like I created these things, by, these things, but I don't know if they na- might necessarily work. And when they do, they do, he's like, he's so pleased with himself. I think he very much, right. he very much lives for the joy of creating things rather than destroying. So it's like, I can't believe it worked. And, he, and like I said, he becomes so supportive of the team as they go on their mission. Like when we get the news coverage, once, of course, Casanova Frankenstein has been defeated, it's so, so wonderful. It, you know, it's very strange to say this, but I it almost, I almost, um, cr- I'm not saying cried, but I got a little bit emotional when I saw everybody so happy, well, you know, be it um, Blue Raja's mom or be it uh, Doc Heller or even um, uh, Monica, just seeing them so happy about everything. I was like, oh, this is nice. And it could be maybe because we're going through some pretty, crappy times when it comes to humanity you need movies like this that kind of you know a little bit uplifting and make you happy and they're just in their silliness they almost you know make you realize that there are still nice things in the world i mean i don't know if that translates but that's the way i felt when it came to that those movies. no i i get what you're saying it, it does like you said you know when they beat casanova they cut over to whoever they're you know um Doc Heller, the mom, the, his wife, they cut over to the, the family members that they were doing these actions for, and you see them proud of these superheroes. So you kind of get, you get brought up and you're, you're taken into the moment. You're like, yeah, go them. They actually, this band of misfits, you know, did what they had to do and they stepped up and they saved the city, you know? So you kind of get brought into that moment because everybody's cheering and they cut to people specifically Monica, you know, Heller all cheering for the characters and you're like, yeah, go with them. So yeah, no, it definitely, it, it's a, a nice, um, uplifting ending. You know, it, it definitely brings you into the moment. 
It does. It does. And Sphinx, I agree with you. He did get a bit annoying because at first I did like the whole, we need the wise, almost sensei to train these people. But yeah, when the, we got to his shtick was like you were saying, throwing out random, you know, kind of bomb modes of wisdom, which really don't mean anything. And, uh, and, and of course, and understandably, like you said, uh, Mr. Furious calls Sphinx out on this, but I did like the, training montage we got to a certain extent as in he just speaks a few words to say blue raja and suddenly he's like a perfect marksman and i thought it was wonderful they didn't take him ages to figure out it's like if you hide the way you're going to throw the night their forks you're going to be a perfect shot and lo and behold he does so i guess they didn't want to give us too too long of a training montage but i did like what we got of that. And it did obviously get us from point A to point B. So I thought that was nice. He's good at training his people. But yeah, I do agree. There were moments where like, okay, are we done with all the, with these bomb mos and these phrases that mean nothing? But uh, I guess it was, it was kind of picking on, should we say the sensei, if you were like kind of a, a Mr. Miyagi kind of situation of, I'm going to give you this wisdom and it's not going to mean nothing to you, but it will turn you into a better hero or a, a more accomplished fighter or what have you. But it was it was okay for what it was worth, I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he wasn't in the movie very long, so you didn't have to. You know, where was he at the end when they're going to go fast? You know, face the big bad guy. You know, when push came to shove, while he did the training, he theoretically could have beat all the bad guys in the room. He's like, I'm gonna go do this other thing somewhere else, and I gotta go wash my 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 socks or something. So he he was just there to kind of rally the troops, and you know help them get better costumes because <laughs> they, they did spend half the montage sewing. So, you know, it's true. Yes, they did. They actually were sewing their own costumes and I actually enjoyed the, the, the should we say their final battle costumes were actually pretty sharp. Some of them, you, you oh, wouldn't yeah. expect blue Raj's costume to actually be blue this time, but no. And it's actually the shoveler who gets the blue in his costume. And I believe right. also, uh, um, and also Sphinx has blue, but it's like, okay, none on the Raja. Okay. <laughs> but and, um, it's, it, yeah. I appreciate the banter during that too when they were doing the, the sewing like the team builders you, you can see them like that was literally like I could be sitting there with those guys you know having a beer doing the exact same thing like we're making our costumes because hey now we're superheroes or you know we're cosplayers and we're going to sit here and you know cosplay these guys like that just seemed like a very genuine type of interaction amongst them so it helped build the team dynamic I, I very much agree. And, uh, you know, before we get to our villains here, I mean, I know we didn't, um, I mean, I, I thought there wasn't really much to them, but maybe in case you wanted to possibly touch up on them, Keith, we did, of course, get, uh, as I'd mentioned, uh, um, Greg Kinnear as Captain Amazing and, of course, uh, uh, Claire Forlani as Monica. Like I said, I know they're not in this movie much. Did you have anything on them that you wanted to to, to mention or share? I mean, they, they were very forgettable. They were just there to kind of move the story along. You know, without Captain Amazing, we wouldn't have, the, you know, Big Bad, Casanova, Frankenstein at the end. You know, Monica was just there to prop Furious up when he felt, you know, knocked down. So they didn't add to the story, but, you know, they didn't necessarily, well, Kinnear's added to the story. She didn't. She literally could have been anybody. Ben Stiller could have been talking to a little old lady on a bus stop and it would have had the same result you know it was a very awkward love interest that was very forgettable at the same time yeah it was a, i think it was a, i i have to admit i think it was a waste 
of Greg Kinnear's talent because we know what a great actor he is. I mean, I've seen him in a million things, you know, be it comedic or serious. And he very much has, he, he's a fantastic actor. And so I was kind of like, it's a shame that he wasn't given as much, but I go as the whole concept of almost superheroes who actually have powers are kind of jerks and they're out there for the money and for the PR and, you know, with the spot between the sponsorships and literally breaking Casanova Frankenstein out of jail in a sense, helping him out of jail and causing all this craziness. It very much is almost like we're more about the common people than those who really have power because they're only out for themselves rather than literally wanting to save the city. Cause literally Ca Captain Amazing was like, I just want something to fight. So people think I'm cool and I can get another sponsorship from be it Coca-Cola or Pepsi or what have you. And so he was very much self-centered about it and he does it well. But as I mentioned before, I think it was a waste of a great actor like Greg Kinnear. Um, but uh, when it came to Monica, I agree. I, I thought to myself, why, why is she even here? I mean, I guess right. they want to give somebody to put in, in Roy's corner because Roy's the only one who doesn't have somebody, if you want, of, the, of our core trio kind of egging him on. He doesn't have his personal cheerleader, if you will, while the others do. And it's like, eh, it's not really nice that Roy doesn't have somebody to cheer him on. So let's give him Monica. And heck, why not put in the damsel in distress? Because we've never seen the damsel in distress. So uh, I guess they wanted to give us that too and give Roy the motivation. But other than that, I agree with you. Monica could literally have been written out and maybe they could have given more of uh, Captain Amazing, I suppose. I mean, I don't know how, what, what, how you feel. I mean, are you a fan of Greg Kinnear's? I, I like him. I'm with you. He, you know, when he does these parts, regardless of whatever he's in, he does a good job. It, it would have been nice to see, you know, again, the, the, what they do when they're not being a superhero type of thing. Like, how did we get to him being the world's greatest superhero? It, it kind of reminds me of the TV series, the, the boys on Amazon. His mm -hmm. character reminds me of all of them because mm -hmm. they are very much about themselves and, Oh, we happen to save somebody. Oops, are you know, way to go. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't make them more popular, richer, or whatever, they don't care. You know, he's the type of character like, oh, there's a cat in a tree, nobody's around. Cool, the cat's gonna stay in the tree. Oh, there's people with cameras. All right, let me go save the cat. You know, if there's not something to again build up his ego or stroke his ego, he's gonna care less. That's you know, when he lost some random sponsor, that's what triggered this whole let me break out. Casanova Frankenstein. Like, that was a horrible idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let's get out one of the most dangerous men in the world just because I need a sponsor. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I'm bored. <laughs> exactly. Like, seriously, dude. And heck, and I guess he ended up almost paying for his life because it granted Blue Raja, I, you know, mistakenly kills him. But still, he kind of got, he kind of had it coming. I'm going to say, yes. anyway. No, I agree with you. I, I was he not did. mad. I was not mad at all. I was like, well, you, you did this to yourself. Exactly. You We're in this situation because of you, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, uh, anything else to when it came to these uh, characters, Keith, or if not, we can get to our villains. No, I, I, I think that's everything. We kind of, 
you know, destroyed him as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> well said. All righty then. So let's get to the dark side of the table. Starting, I mean, we do have a few, but I think the ones that kind of uh, showed off best are, I guess we can start with our two main goons first. We have another great comedic talent, Eddie Izzard, of all people, as Tony P, and Prakasriel M- Michael as Tony C, of course, the two big members of the Disco Boys. So what did you make of these two, Keith? What's funny is when I saw this movie, I did not know who Eddie was. I knew who Praz was because he's a music artist. So I knew one of the two of them. But since the movie has come out, I've seen Eddie in a lot of things. I've seen his stand up. So to go back and watch it, he again, he was another one. He played the character perfectly. They both did. And you could tell, again, these were guys that enjoyed their casting. You know, they. Even when he goes back to, you know, the bowler and like, yeah, I killed your dad. You could see he was enjoying himself doing that part. You know, it, it, it looks like it was a blast. Like, I, I, this is a city that I want to go to. Like, I want to live there and be around these people. You know, these parts, they were perfect. You know, I, I can't praise it any better. You know, they played the bad guys. Yeah, they did the cliche with all the guns, and 10,000 bullets and not hitting anything. But that's any movie you know you watch the mask and it's the same scenario with jim carrey they unload ten thousand bullets and you're like you missed the side of the house like there's literally no bolts anywhere so i liked it i enjoyed it they were great yeah i mean uh, as you said uh, I, you know if had i seen this when i was younger i probably obviously would not have been familiar with eddie Izzard at all because you know usually when he's not doing this stuff he tends to do more adult comedy in general mm-hmm. or does should we say rather racy things or i mean heck uh, i actually got introduced to got introduced to eddie through the tv show hannibal of all things so that's where I oh, really got, okay yeah that's where i got to know eddie Izzard, and there he plays quite the psychopath and does a very good job at it and uh, i was one i was very shocked that we got one of the Fugees here. I was like, wait a minute. So I've seen Coolio in a movie. I've seen LL Cool J in plenty of things. And here we have one of the Fugees, which I was a big fan of way back when, as one of the villains. So, and it was kind of cool because at first I was like, wait a minute, that voice sounds familiar. I was like, it's Praz from the Fugees. <laughs> so it's, right? It, it blew my mind that uh, that he was in this, and he does a he does a decent job. You know, uh, he's actually better than Coolio as an actor. And believe you me, folks, you don't want to see Coolio act. Because no, no, not at all. That was terrible. <laughs> he's not particularly good at it. But uh, Praz does does I think what he's supposed to do when it comes to this because you know it's very much like the gangster type. And uh, obviously, I get the Tony C Tony thing. Yeah, of course, Tony Monero. And so we're doing the whole Saturday Night Fever thing. So that was kind of funny. It was a little bit on the nose, but it was funny. And Eddie Izzard with kind of like that hairstyle. I thought it was was, hilarious seeing him in that. (laughs) The guns were great. I mean, it's all very, obviously, very disco, even the way the style of the guns and stuff. So it was like, okay, so I guess... Casanova Frankenstein's people are the disco boys. So Casanova is also all about disco, which was which was a curious choice. But uh, they were fun for what they did. I mean, very sort of you know rather inept at what they do at the end of the day. But uh, you know they 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 were they were fun for what they were. Yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, if you don't have anything else about these two, uh, Keith, we'll get to our big bad himself. Yeah. No, I think I'm good. How about you? Okay. Yeah, I'm good because. Here's a guy that an, another big surprise I was shocked to find in this movie, but an actor I love so much, the one and only Jeffrey Rush, 
Yes, indeed. Captain Barbosa himself as Casanova Frankenstein. So, uh, Keith, what did you make of our big villain? I loved him. It's like it was just so over the top. It was, it was great, you know, to see him in the asylum and then to see him outside of the asylum, you know, his banter with, you know, talking to his henchmen and even the, the doctor, um, what was her name? Uh, uh, Dr. Leak, where mm-hmm. she was, you know, kind of the contributing factor to helping him getting out. It, it was very reminiscent of Joker and Harley Quinn minus the complete murder lunacy. But the, in terms of, you know, doctor patient crush, you, you see a lot. This was definitely before that became a very cliche thing as it is nowadays. You know, you watch a lot of the DC movies where you see a Joker or the Harley Quinn. It's very like, oh, look, she fell for the Joker and blah, blah, blah. And you see it every time and they rehash it. This was before all of that. And they didn't beat you over the head with it. But when you saw them on screen, like when he was in front of the parole board, you could see there was something going on. Like you could see there was a little like there's something sketchy here, but you don't know what yet. And I, I just I appreciated that a lot. And he reminded me of like every supervillain, minus, you know, obviously the violence because of the type of movie that it is more comedic. But he played that part perfectly. Like that was the villainous when he came in and he was talking to the disco boys in the disco room he commanded the room when he was at the very end where he had all the different groups like the frat boys and the disco boys and everybody else the mob guys you know he owned it he owned the room it's sort of like you know in street fighter with you know bison and all that they they just loved the part you could tell they were really they got into it it wasn't something that they were forced to or they were like obligated to he came in, he played the part, you know, he, it was great. He, he probably, you know, when I watched it the first time, you know, Ben Stiller and those guys made the movie, but watching it a second time, he definitely made the movie more for me than the original trio. It's kind of funny with, you know, age, you can appreciate different cast members a little bit more. And the fact that, you know, you have Barbosa as this over the top bad guy who attacks you with, this gold pinky nail that he has to stop and file while attacking you. You know, he held a girl hostage by her throat because of this cocaine pinky nail. I'm like, this is corny as all corny, but it, it works perfectly because of the style of the film, everybody else in the film, it works. It's not like you have this one guy going over the top and everybody else is the straight person. They were all the same level of kind of goofy craziness. And I loved it. Yeah, I think, as they say, you know, the hero is only as good as their villain. And I think uh, Casanova Frankenstein very much rises to that occasion. And, you know, we're talking about a man who obviously has Oscar gold to his career because he played some very serious and very sort of even art house movies. But at the same time, what I love about Jeffrey is the fact that he is not afraid to go into complete silliness and do something like Casanova Frankenstein, or heck, even do something like Captain Barbosa, who, you know, initially might come across as being a little bit, che- uh, you know, kind of comedic stuff, but then we see there's a lot of heart to that character. And, and you know, and only, I think, an actor as accomplished and as good as Jeffrey Rush is able to bring forward something like that and do something as ridiculous as Casanova Frankenstein, because 
this guy is very much kind of almost a hodgepodge mishmash of various kind of villains. You know, he has the kind of German sounding accent. So it's like, yes. could you, could you, which is very stereotypical of Nazi, evil guy, evil scientist, what have you. Plus, he dresses in these very flashy clothes and he wears, you know, these, these rings and has all this kind of stuff going on. So it's very much, I think, the exaggeration, like you were saying, of um, supervillains that we've seen in comics and films alike during the course of this period. And I think Jeffrey very much just takes the character and runs with it. He just is right. really... And I think he did, you can tell he's enjoying himself doing it. I mean, he's not phoning it in because, like I said, it's Jeffrey Rush. It's somebody who's like, I've done Shakespeare for crying out loud and I'm doing this. And he doesn't care. But he, he literally, I think he very much is dedicated to the role. And I love that about him. From seeing with the long hair, like you said, the, when he gets to there's a parole board, it's very sort of almost... Um, Manson-like way, saying very random things. It's like, is he high or drunk or something? Was just like he feels he's almost a messiah. And it was, it was beautiful. And uh, like I said, I, I I agree with you. He was probably the standout character to me compared to all the rest. No, definitely, I agree with you. Watching it the second time, he he made the movie. The first time I watched it again, I was like twenty. When I watched it the first time, so I was all about, oh, Ben Stiller, he's the, you know, the popular guy, so on and so forth. But now that I've, you know, watched a lot of movies and, you know, seen these characters, these actors grow comedically or even, you know, in general, in terms of what they've, parts they've played. Yeah, he, he sold it. Like, I'm, I'm glad they cast him. Otherwise, I don't know. I think this would have been, while it's a forgettable movie in terms of movies overall that came out in the 90s, it's great for how it's made and everything about it. Like, you know, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a cult classic for a reason. Exactly. Cause funny enough, when I actually mentioned on social media that we were covering this movie, so many people were commenting on this movie is fantastic. I missed this movie. I loved it so much, etc. So it's, it's curious how, like you said, how, what a cult following it has now garnered over the years when, when it came out, it was a box office office flop. So I guess maybe at the time, maybe people weren't ready for it or it just wasn't the right time or I don't know, or simply it was just running up against so many films, a la Ben Stiller, which like, this is just another of those comedy, 90s comedies, which don't go anywhere. And so we're going to just not waste our time and go to the theater to see it. I mean, it's strange, isn't it? When it comes to these kind of films that end up becoming cults, you know, years down the line. Yeah, I, I think it kind of, it's like what you're saying. It's a little a bunch of variables that kind of worked against it. I think a lot of people were Ben Stillard out because that was a time in his career where he was, you know, firing off movies every couple of years. You'd have another Ben Stiller. In some cases, you'd have two Ben Stiller movies in the same year. And you're like, oh, it's another Ben Stiller, you know? So if you didn't like him, you weren't going to go see it, even though the cast is amazing, or you did like him and you're like, well, I don't know about the rest of the cast. So there was always, you're kind of in one group or the other. Either you hated him or you loved him. And if you hated him, but you loved the cast, you weren't going to go see it. If you loved him, but didn't know the cast, you weren't going to go see it. So it was that kind of weird, you know, they, they shot themselves in their foot, basically. I think so. And plus, maybe, you know, super fans of the superhero genre might not have taken this seriously, even though, as I said, this is a comic book property. It was inspired by characters from Dark Horse. So it's not like an original property. But I guess maybe at the time, you know, 
superhero movie fans were like, we, we, we're not really here to see this. We want to see the big Marvel properties, the big DC properties, maybe not necessarily some of the stuff from Dark Horse or Image or what have you. So it's like, eh, we don't really need this. But I said, it's curious what a cult following it's garnered. It'll be interesting to see if as the years go by, whether it might get a revival or whether somebody would just go ahead and, you know, do a straight reboot and bring in new actors for it. It'll be, uh, be curious to see. So um, anything else on this film, uh, Keith, before we get to ratings? No, I think we, I, we covered it. I, we put this one to bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well put then. Then I guess then let's get to ratings then. What do you give Mystery Men out of 10? I'm, I'm going to be, you know, your, your fans are either going to laugh at me or think I'm amazing, but I'm going to have to give it an 8 out of 10. You know, it, it's, it's, some, of it, some of the jokes haven't aged well, but the movie itself, it's, it's fun. If you own it, or you have a chance to watch it on TV or streaming, definitely by all means, I, I give it a shot. It's a fun, it's, you're not going to be disappointed. The special effects are a little rough, but the movie itself is a fun watch. I definitely agree. And I think we almost maybe appreciate it more because of shows like you were mentioning, like The Boys or like Deadpool or stuff like that, where it is more in that comedic vein mixed with superheroes. So maybe had it come out now, it may would have been, uh, should we say, accepted or, or should we say enjoyed more, maybe it would have had greater success. And I'm right there with you. I'm also going to give it an eight out of 10. As, as much as I don't like ben, ben Stiller, the rest of the cast made up for my Un, should we say my dislike of Ben as an actor? I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy. You know, probably helps old ladies across the street and does all that kind of stuff. You know, writes his Hanukkah cards like a good Jewish boy to everybody. But at the same time, I just I don't know. I just can't get I can't get into the Ben Stiller thing. So the rest of the cast made it up for me. Jeffrey Rush. Always a joy to see him on. So it's an eight out of 10 for me. So let's then get to recommendations then. What do you think folks should check out, Keith, if they enjoyed it, uh, this film? If people enjoy this film as much as you or I do, and they haven't done so already, they should check out the TV series, The Tick, either the original one that was on Fox or the Amazon reboot. Both of them are in the same vein as Mystery Men. You know, there's same over the top, like the Tick character. He doesn't realize, you know, how strong he is or how ridiculously overpowered he is compared to everybody else. And everybody else thinks he's kind of crazy. But again, they're, it's a great, even the cartoon was fun to watch. If you've ever watched the old Tick cartoon, all of that, I recommend the Tick across the board. Uh, the Boys is another one. If you appreciate the um, corporate, you know, corporate kind of, pull and the heroes because you know they're corrupted by power and the big corporations own all the heroes sort of like you know captain amazing the boys is another story of the same vein where you know no good deed goes unpunished there's always an angle so i think those are my my recommendations for your fans Fantastic. And I'm actually going to add to this. Granted, we did review these, these movies on the podcast. If you haven't checked them out yet, folks, I would add the kick-ass movies to, to your watch list. Uh, because once again, yes, they are more violent. Yes, there is more cussing. But 
it's very much it very much has that comedic angle to it as well. So uh, added to the great suggestions that Keith uh, may, Keith gave, I'm going to add uh, the two Kickass movies. Nick, if while you're at it, you know, check out the Kickass comics and check out the uh, Mystery Men comics. I've actually bought a couple of issues after having watched this. Uh, they're on my Comicsology, uh, should we say, account, and I'm actually looking forward to reading them and seeing where how, what the differences are between the two. So. Uh, you know, why not? So, you know, add the add the um, mystery in comics to your to your library as well. So uh, that's our movie, folks. And of course, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, or if you'd like to take the plunge like the wonderful Keith and join us here on the show, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, appealing generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies, or even just films inspired by comics like Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants, or even films which inspired comics such as the Robocop franchise, Terminator, and more. Check all that out and join our army of patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. And to Keith, when you're not here discussing cult classics like Mystery Men, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, right now, I'm kind of uh, in a black hole. I don't have anything planned going forward. So I think uh, unless you and I have another podcast scheduled, uh, I'm going to be the, the newest Mystery Man to the, the block here. Well, uh, fantastic. We definitely hope, look forward to having you back anytime because you definitely was fantastic. You know, in any capacity, you always uh, bring some great, great insights and thoughts. So uh, for sure. And when it comes to me, folks, for you uh, country music lovers, I can be found hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. Where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. Podcast-wise, feel free to check out our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture, from 1927's Wings to the present day. Also, if superhero TV shows are your speed, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on The Fandom Zone, where we're currently reviewing episodes of She-Hulk Attorney at Law and The Sandman. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 98th Alex Proyas film, Dark City. That said, when it comes to you, Keith, as I mentioned before, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a joy and a pleasure to have you on and definitely look forward to having you back anytime. Uh, my pleasure. You know, I, you know me, I enjoy geeking out like everybody else, talking about comic books, science fiction, sci-fi. You know, it's my, my jam. I, I, I love it. Well, we definitely look forward to having you back very soon. So, folks, uh, thanks as always for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Dark City. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.